Uh, let's go to 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. And while you're turning there, we'll have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your holy written word that will go forth now. It will accomplish what it's sent out to do. It will bring encouragement, life to people. We just thank you for it. It will not return void, but it will accomplish what it's sent to do in the lives of those that will hear it, believe it, receive it, and consistently act upon it. We thank you for it, sir. Thank you for your holy written word. Thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, God, in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, God had sent Samuel, who was a prophet, a man of God, you know, there in the Old Testament. He had sent him over to Jesse's house to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king of Israel because Saul had disobeyed God and God had refused Saul as king and now sent Samuel to anoint the next king. And it would be one of Jesse's sons. And he had several sons. And in 1 Samuel 16, 6, 1 Samuel 16, 6, so it was when they came that he looked, notice Samuel looked at Eliab, that was one of Jesse's sons, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. See, Samuel thought it had to be Eliab. He evidently looked pretty good. Looked like somebody God would choose. But the Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I want to title this message today, What God Sees That We Do Not. What is it that God sees in people that we do not? What is it that God sees in us that we oftentimes don't see in ourselves? You see, let's read that again. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, Samuel was looking at Eliab's outward appearance, but God was looking at the heart. And when God looked at his heart, he said, nope, that's not the one. So in verse 8, Jesse called... Uh, Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and he said or Abinadab however you want to say it made him pass before Samuel and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one then Jesse made Shammah pass by that was another one of his sons and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse the Lord has not chosen these we're running out of sons here. I mean, you know. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Now obviously, Jesse himself wasn't considering his youngest son. Couldn't be the youngest. Couldn't be that little kid out back. Verse 12, so he, so, he, uh, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. You see, had we been there, we perhaps would have been like Samuel and looked at Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah thinking, surely one of them is God's choice. And we, we would have perhaps looked at David and saw a young boy who was just out back looking after his dad's sheep, never considering him as God's choice. But see, we would have been looking at the outward appearance, and God doesn't see as man sees. You know, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And you see, God was able to look at David, see his heart, and say, this is the next king of Israel. This is the anointed psalmist who eventually would write, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, when we're looking at Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, we see, you know, physical stature and, you know, whatever. And we look at David and we say, surely he couldn't be the one. But, you know, God looks at the heart. And if you think about it, you look on down the road, a little ways on down the road, all of a sudden, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, there was a giant named Goliath, and they were all afraid of that giant. But there was a little boy out back named David who wasn't afraid of that giant and was able to kill the giant. And you see, when we would have looked in, as when Samuel looked in, uh, you might have thought Eliab could have killed the giant, Abinadab or Shammah. We would have never thought David could kill the giant. But see, God looks at the heart. He could see that Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, though they looked good outwardly, were going to run from the giant. But David had the heart and he was going to go after Goliath, and he took him down. Let's remember that God sees things differently than we see them. In Judges, the sixth chapter, let's go to Judges, the sixth chapter. And God's people are in bondage at this time, and there's a man named Gideon. Have you ever heard of Gideon? There was a man named Gideon, and it's interesting, as you look at Judges 6 and 12, because the angel of the Lord had, had come to Gideon in Judges 6, 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, said to Gideon, now look at what the Lord said. Look at what, the, you know, the, Lord, the angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you, you what? You mighty man of valor. 
So how did the Lord see Gideon? He saw him as a mighty man of valor. But if you look at verse 15, we can see that Gideon didn't see that in himself. In Judges 6.15, So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Because God was going to use him to, to, to save Israel, you know, at this point. But he says, how can I do that? Indeed, my clan or my family is the weakest in Manasseh. And not only that, I'm the least in my father's house. You see, Gideon didn't see himself the way God saw him. Gideon saw himself as, you know, I'm from the weakest family. And not only that, I'm the weakest in the family. I'm the weakest of the weak. But you see, God didn't see him that way. God saw him as what? A mighty man of valor. And perhaps we would have looked at Gideon and saw the least of the least. But God, see, he looked at him and saw a mighty man of valor. See, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And the Bible is full of examples along these lines. Look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10. Have you ever heard of a man named Moses? Anybody ever hear of him? How many has ever heard of Moses? You've heard of Moses. And uh, it's like that old joke while you're turning. Where was Moses when the lights went out? In the dark. Now you'll, be, you'll get that about halfway home. I better stick to preaching, huh? Exodus 3 and 10. Do you see that? What God saw in Moses was different than what Moses saw in himself. Exodus 3 and 10. Notice this. God says, Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Because, see, they were in bondage there, hard bondage there in Egypt. And God appears to Moses, you know, the burning bush and, and, and all of that, and says, I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, out of that bondage. But notice in verse 11... See, see, God looked at Moses and saw a deliverer, but Moses, notice what Moses saw in himself. Exodus 3.11, But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Who am I to go? Now, we know that Moses, the Bible said he was the meekest man in the earth. That just meant he was humble. And I believe that we see here in part why God used him. He was a humble man. God's looking for humble people, you know. The Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. But he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But then if you look down at chapter 4 and verse 10, there's something else we need to, to bring out here about Moses because, see, Moses didn't think he was qualified. Moses didn't think that he had what it took to be the deliverer. Certainly he was a humble man, and that's good. But notice here in Exodus 4.10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Did you ever realize that? Moses was not an eloquent speaker. 
He was not going to dazzle the crowds with his eloquence. How many of you know you don't have to be eloquent of speech to be used by God? He says, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, some look at this and say that he was just, he was not a man, he, he, he was a man of few words. He didn't say a whole lot. He was a man of few words, and, and that could be. But then others look at this and say that perhaps he had some kind of a, a speech impediment. As you get in here, you know, you look at the Bible talks as you study this out, he was heavy of tongue. He had, evidently could have been some sort of speech impediment. Don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. Could be that he was just a man of few words. He didn't say a whole lot. But we certainly know he wasn't eloquent. But there again, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to, to be the sharpest in the crowd. You don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer, if you will, for God to use you. And you see, Moses, as he looked at himself didn't really think he had the goods. He really didn't think he had the qualifications to be the one that would deliver Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. You see, and, and, and had we been there, we would have looked at Moses and saw a man with no eloquence. He doesn't speak well. He's not a good public speaker. How could God use him? But you see, God looked at him and saw a mighty deliverer of his people. You know Job. Have you ever heard of Job? How many has ever heard of Job? You know at one point in Job's life, we would have looked at Job and saw a man destitute, having lost all that he had. But God looked at Job at that same point and saw a man with twice as much as he had to begin with. Because if you study Job's life, you see that he started out with a lot. But there came a point where he lost all that he had. And many people have, have, have argued as to why Job lost all that he had. Why did God allow all of that to happen? And we could talk all day about it, but I'll just tell you my thoughts on it. I believe God, because there was a dialogue or a conversation, you can read it in the book of Job, between God and the devil. And I believe God was just saying to the devil, Hey, have you considered my servant Job? Here's a man that loves me for me. He doesn't love me for the goodies. He doesn't love me for the blessings. He doesn't love me for the clothes. He doesn't love me for the jewelry. He doesn't love me for the sheep, the goats, the oxen, the houses, the lands, the barns. But hey, devil, this man Job loves me for me. Take all that away from him and he's still going to love me. And did you know that, that Job lost all that he had, but he still loved God, didn't he? And the Bible said he never sinned with his lips. He never cursed God. He even had his wife tell him to curse God and die. But you know what? He was a man of integrity. And he remained faithful to God. And you know, we would have looked in there at one point. We would have said, oh, poor old Job. You know, Job had some friends that came along and looked at him and said, poor old Job. Is that right? 
And we even would have perhaps looked in and said, oh, poor old Job. Poor old Job, he's lost all that he had. But you know, the Bible says God sees the end from the beginning. And God knew that at some point Job would have twice as much as what he had before. You see, we would have perhaps looked at Job and said, here's a man that's lost all that he had. But you see, God looked at him and said, here's a man who's going to have twice as much as he had before. Have you ever heard of Abram, whose name was eventually changed to Abraham? How many have ever heard of him? As you study his life out, we would have looked at Abram and we would have, ha- we would have seen a heathen who worshipped gods other than the one true God. There was a point in his life he came from a family uh, that worshipped gods other than the one true God. And there's a time in Abram's life that we would have looked at him and saw a heathen, a godless man who, who, who godless as far as worshiping the one true God, he worshiped gods other than the one true God. But you know, the one true God looked in at Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and saw the father of faith. Perhaps when you and I and others would have written Abram off as a loser and a heathen, God looked in there, changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations, and now we call him the father of faith. Have you ever heard of Jacob? Remember Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. How many has ever heard of Jacob? And his name was eventually changed to Israel. But you know the name Jacob means deceiver. And as you study Jacob's life out, you would have seen that he did some deception, didn't he? He had a twin brother named Esau, and they played a trick on, or, or actually, uh, uh, Jacob and his mom played a trick on, on, uh, on Isaac, wasn't it? To steal the birthright. Remember that? And so there's a point we would have looked in at Jacob and saw a deceiver, but you know, God looked at Jacob changed his name to Israel and made him the father of a great nation. Aren't you glad God sees things different than we do? There was a lady by the name of Rahab. How many of you have ever heard of Rahab? And remember, she's the one who hid the spies. Remember as as Joshua sent the spies out into Jericho and remember she hid the spies. Remember that? But you need to know something else about her. She was a harlot or a prostitute. And you see, we would have looked in there at one point at Rahab and we would have seen a harlot of Jericho, a woman of ill repute. But you know, God looked at that same woman and saw an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ, naturally speaking. Did you know Rahab is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's another individual we'll turn on this one. We could have looked those others up for the sake of time. But look at Amos 7, verse 14. Amos 7, Amos, the book of Amos 7, chapter 7, and verse 14. Amos chapter 7, verse 14. Notice Amos answered and said to this fellow Amaziah, Amos 7, 14. Have you found that yet? Have you, do you have it? Have you found that? Amos 7:14 then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, 
He said, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of the sycamore fruit. So Amos saw himself as just a farmer. Just a farmer. How many of you know God can use farmers? God can use truck drivers. Huh? God can use school teachers. God can use people that drive the, the trash trucks. Did you know that? Thank God for people that drive the trash trucks. I thank God for them. How about you? Just think where we'd be if we didn't have them. They're important people. Thank God for the janitors in the schools. I learned a long time ago, if you want God to, to bless you, one thing you need to do is be good to the janitors. When I taught school years ago, I was, always, I was as nice and nicer to the janitors than I was to the principal and the superintendent. Amen. That's the way God sees things. I always tried to make life as easy as I could on the janitors and I'd clean my room up as best I could before I went home to make life easier on them. See, see God pays attention to that. You understand that? And, uh, but Amos was a farmer. Amos saw himself as a farmer. And notice verse 15, Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. The Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Wow, that's, a, that's pretty important, isn't it? But how many of you know being a farmer is important too? Don't ever despise what it is you're doing. God can use you right where you are. Did you hear me? Whatever station you are at in life, don't look at yourself as unimportant because God doesn't see you that way. God sees things in us that we oftentimes don't see in ourselves. God sees things in people that, 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 that oftentimes people, they just don't see it in themselves. We look at other people a lot of times and we don't see that, that God really, he, His hand is on people and can use them wonderfully, you see. We should never write anybody off. And we should never write ourselves off. Did you hear me? You see, we would have looked at Amos and saw a farmer. God looked at him and saw a prophet, you see. Now notice in Luke the 13th chapter and the 11th verse. Luke the 13th chapter and the 11th verse. Notice this. Luke the 13th chapter and the 11th verse. Now notice here. Luke the 13th chapter and the 11th verse. Behold there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. <coughs> notice she couldn't raise herself up. She was bent over. 18 years, couldn't raise herself up. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't like to be bent over and have to be like this for more than just a couple of seconds. Think about being like that for 18 years. That's a long time. Isn't that that's a long time to go around like this, isn't it? You try to raise up. You, you can't, you walk, just think about it. You walk up to people, you can't even look them in the eye. When you go to greet them, you, did you ever think about that? We ought to think about these things sometimes, what these people went through, you know. It was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But notice, now, now while everybody else was looking at this woman, what did they see? They saw a woman that was bent over and couldn't raise herself up. But what did God see? What did Jesus see? When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you're what? You're loosed from your infirmity. See, everybody else saw her bound, but Jesus saw her loosed. 
Jesus saw her loosed. And he said, woman, you're loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Well, that's something to glorify God about, isn't it? And then in verse 16, because, you know, verses 14 and 15, the, the religious people got all upset. When G, You know, they got all, all upset because Jesus did this on the Sabbath day. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it, I don't care what day of the week it is, and neither does Jesus. He don't care what day of the week it is. We, we need to do the work of God. And he told those religious people, because the, the one guy said, there's, there's six days you can do your healing on. Do them on those. Now, you know, that's just, I, I don't know how to deal with people that look at things like that. There are six days to do your healing on. I tell you what, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And God will heal people every day of the week. You understand that? He's not going to let, let relig religiosity stop him. Man's rules and regulations. And so Jesus, you know, he, he rebuked that guy. And, you know, that was coming against him there for doing it on the wrong day of the week. And he said, verse 16, So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. You see, we would have seen a woman with a strange appearance staring at the ground. How many of you, if we had just walked up on that scene and we just saw her and, and she's just standing there like that, we looked at her and we just saw something strange looking. Is that right? Is, is that right? But you see, Jesus saw a daughter of Abraham loosed and free. I said, Jesus saw a daughter of Abraham loosed and free. See, while everybody else was looking at her and those religious people were looking at her and saw somebody bent over, Jesus looked at her and saw her as a daughter of Abraham loosed and free. Glory to God. Think about Peter. Have you ever thought about Peter? How many has ever heard of Peter? Have you, have you heard of Peter? Raise your hand. You've heard of Peter? You see, if you study the life of Peter out, we would have looked at Peter and saw an uneducated, loud-mouthed loud fisherman. Is that right? Isn't that right? If we just come in there, we would have looked at Peter and saw an uneducated, loud-mouthed fisherman. And, and, and he was capable of cussing too, wasn't he? Huh? Wasn't he? Oh, he was capable of it. You study his life out before, he, before Jesus got in there. He's capable of it, wasn't he? But you see, Jesus looked at Peter. See, while everybody else was looking at him and saw an uneducated, loud-mouthed fisherman, Jesus looked at Peter and saw an apostle who would preach on the day of Pentecost and see 3,000 people get saved. He saw a man, Jesus looked at Peter and saw a man full of faith, full of power, the power of God that would get within a shadow's length of sick, of sick people and they'd get healed. See, God looks at things a whole lot differently than we look at them. We would have saw an uneducated, loudmouthed fisherman. Jesus looked at him and saw an apostle who would preach under the power of God and see 3,000 people get saved, glory to God, and see the power of God so strong that he'd get within a shadow's length of people that were sick and they'd get healed. How many's ever heard of John? John? If you heard of John, let me see. Have you heard of John? 
See, we would have looked at John and saw a cliquish. You know what I mean by a cliquish? You know, how many, how many of you you've ever seen a click form? Uh, the best way I know to describe a click is from the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. See, th- there was a little click there, and they wouldn't let Rudolph join in what? The other reindeer games, because the little click had put him out, you see. Remember that? You know, I don't like clicks. God doesn't like clicks. There's nobody better than anybody else. Did you hear me? We treat everybody equal. Because that's the way God wants it done. Did you hear me? But remember there was a time where John said to Jesus, because he saw a man casting out demons, and, and remember, he went to Jesus and said, we need to do something about that. He doesn't follow with our group. Remember that? And Jesus said, he that's not against us is, is with us, you see, and for us. So you see, John was cliquish. He was, did you know he was also spoiled? Did you know that? I said, did you know he was spoiled? Did you know John was spoiled? How many of you know he was? Remember, he wanted to be, he wanted to sit on the right hand and his brother on the left hand of Jesus. Remember that? How many remembers that? And when he couldn't get it done, him and his brother, they went and got their mama to come talk to Jesus. Is that right? Now, is that right? And Jesus said, that's not mine to give. Remember that? (laughs) And so, and he wanted some preferential treatment. Did you know John was also a hot-tempered man? Did you know he wanted to call down fire on an entire village that didn't receive Jesus? How many of you, do you ever want to call down fire on anybody? (laughs) And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. He said, I've come to save men's life, not destroy them. So see, we would have looked at John and saw a cliquish, spoiled brat who wanted preferential treatment, hot-tempered man who wanted to call down fire on an entire village. See, we would have looked at him at one point and seen that, but Jesus looked at him and saw the apostle of love, who he would use to write some books of the Bible, including the book of Revelation. Aren't you glad God looks at people differently than we do? Aren't you glad God doesn't leave us in the state we're in, but the work, the good work that he's begun in us, he'll bring it about to completion if we'll cooperate with him. I like that old saying, somebody said, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. That's good, isn't it? Matthew, think about Matthew. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, think about Matthew. You see, he was a tax collector. Jesus called him from being a tax collector. We would have looked at Matthew and saw a despised tax collector. See, they despised tax collectors back in that day. Now, I don't know if that's changed a whole lot to this day. But I've learned this. They're just doing their job. Let's love them. Let's follow the rules. And then we don't have anything to worry about. Did you ever think about this? It was the IRS that got Mary and Joseph into Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus. Did you ever think about that? Because there was a census going on, you know? Well, praise God. Let's thank God for the tax collectors. And, but I do think we pay too much in taxes. Oh, can I throw that in? And, you know, I don't have a problem paying taxes if we just use it on good things. I have a problem paying taxes if we use it on stupidity. How about you? Well, that's enough of my soapbox. Let's get back to it. 
We would have looked at Matthew and saw a despised tax collector. Jesus looked at Matthew and saw a man that he would use to write one of the gospel accounts, the first one actually that is recorded, Matthew. How many has ever heard of Thomas? What's the first thing when you hear the word or the name Thomas? You think of, well, everybody was real quick on that, doubting Thomas. See, we would have looked at Thomas and saw a doubter who talked about Jesus behind his back. Did you know Jesus had staff members that talked about him behind his back? But at least Thomas was pretty loyal. He, Jesus wanted to go to a certain place. Thomas didn't want to go. He said, we're liable to get killed if we go over there. And, and then he said, well, let's just go on anyway. You know, At least he was loyal in the midst of his talking behind Jesus' back. But we would have looked in at Thomas and we would have saw a doubter. And you all con- conferred with that. First thing you think of, Thomas, what did you think of again? Doubting Thomas. But you know, Jesus looked at Thomas and saw the first disciple after Jesus' resurrection to say to him, My Lord and my God. Do you remember the maniac of Gadara? Remember when Jesus came up on the coast of Gadara there? There was that maniac that met him out of the tombs. He was demon-possessed with that legion of demons out of his mind. The Bible says he was cutting himself with stones. He was totally out of control and without hope, this maniac. The Bible said that no man could control him or tame him. Evidently, they tried. They couldn't. He was breaking. They'd bind him with chains, the Bible says, and he'd break the chains. You see, Jesus came up on that scene and he, he, you know... There was this madman, crazy man, out of his mind. See, we would have stepped in there and we would have seen a crazy man. But Jesus looked at that same man and saw the evangelist of Decapolis. You see, this man is known as the maniac of Gadara, but you need to read, what was that guy on the radio that he always finished it and here's the rest of the story? Was that Paul Harvey? Was that him? And he always said the, the rest of the story. See, we, we a lot of times, see, we think of doubting Thomas, but we need to read the rest of the story. He was the first one to say to Jesus, my Lord and my God, after Jesus was raised from the dead, you see. This maniac of Gadara, we refer to him as the maniac of Gadara, but we need to finish the story and find out that after he got delivered, after Jesus cast those demons out of him, you know, and he was in his right mind and clothed, sitting there at Jesus' feet, and he wanted to go follow Jesus. Jesus and Jesus said no go home to your friends and tell what good things the Lord has done for you and then this maniac he's not a maniac no more he's been set free glory to God and he went to Decapolis and began to publish and make and tell abroad you know and, and tell all over that region what good things the Lord had done for him so you see let's don't refer to him as the maniac of Gadara let's call him the evangelist of Decapolis you see see a lot of people would have looked in there and said there's a maniac God can't use that guy he's crazy nobody can tame him he's nuts but you see God looks he see God doesn't see things the way you and I see things we'd have seen a maniac but God looked and saw an evangelist glory to God there's a lady named Mary Magdalene how many's ever heard of Mary Magdalene the Bible said that she had she was possessed the Bible says possessed with seven demons we would have looked at her and probably written her off As a woman demon-possessed, how could God ever use her? But you know, Jesus set her free, delivered her. 
And he looked at her and didn't see a demon-possessed woman, but saw the first person who would preach the good news of the gospel of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you remember Zacchaeus? He was of short stature. Remember that? And he was up. Does anybody know what kind of a tree he was up in? He was up in a sycamore tree. And remember Jesus, but, and, and why did he climb up in that tree? He climbed up in that tree because he was of small stature and he wanted, to, he wanted to see Jesus, you see. And you see, Jesus walked over, looked up in that tree. Now, if we'd have been there, we might have looked up in that tree and we might have saw a man of small stature. And he was a no-good thieving tax collector. I mean, that he was. And I'm not taking a shot at the tax collectors. I'm just saying that as you study the story, I mean, Zacchaeus was a bad guy. He was charging people more taxes than what they were supposed to be charged. He was a, he was a thief. How many of us would have walked up and looked up in that tree and we just saw a thief? But Jesus walked by that same tree. See, God sees things a whole lot different than you and I do. He looked up in that same tree... And he saw Zacchaeus as someone who would repent and bless humanity, which is what Zacchaeus did. Dear friends, let's don't write people off. Let's continue to, to make an effort to see people the way God sees them. Just a couple more of these. Have you ever heard of Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul? See, we would have looked at Saul of Tarsus and saw a blasphemer, an insolent man, a disrespectful man, an overbearing man, an arrogant man, a persecutor of the church, one who breathed out threats against the disciples of the Lord, seeking to bind Christians, both men and women, and put them in prison and even to death. One who held the coats of the crowd that killed Stephen. But you see, God looked at that same man and saw the apostle who he would entrust with his gospel, God saw a man who would write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. See, when you and I might have written that Saul of Tarsus off, and there was a lot of people wrote him off, they wrote him off, and even after he got saved, the Bible says that they were not going to accept him amongst the, the church. They didn't want to accept Saul of Tarsus. But there was a man named... Barnabas, who was an encourager that talked to the church and the people of the church, and then they accepted Saul, you know. But see, many wrote him off. Perhaps you and I would have written him off, and we would have looked, and we would have seen that blasphemer and that arrogant person and that persecutor and that murderer and so on and so forth. But you see, God looked at that same person through his eyes and saw a man that he could trust and a man who would write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. Timothy, we would have looked and saw Timothy as a timid young man. But God looked and saw Timothy as a mighty, bold pastor who would be instant in season and out, ready not only to encourage, but also to reprove and rebuke with the word of God. Proverbs says, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. We must begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. How does He see us? Well, when we repented of our sins and placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and got born again, God translated, out us, out, translated us out of the devil's kingdom and into God's kingdom, you see. He moved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and into the kingdom of His dear Son. I like walking in the light better than in the darkness. How about you? 
But when that happened, you see, we got transferred out of the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of God's dear Son, and now we're in Christ. Realize, say, I'm in Christ. How many of you know we look a lot better in Christ than we do out of Christ? Just listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. Can anybody say amen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, we ought to have a righteousness consciousness, not a sin consciousness. You know, there's a lot of Christians, they go around with a sin consciousness. No, we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus if we've repented of our sins and placed our faith in the Lord Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. See, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's no condemnation for us if we'll walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, you see. Glory to God. The Bible says in the book of Romans also that we're more than conquerors through Him, through Christ that loves us. You know, it'd be a good deal just to be a conqueror, but we're not just a conqueror. If we're in Christ Jesus, we're more than conquerors, you see. We need to begin to see ourselves that way. See, there's a lot of us in here, I, you know, you're, we're trying to conquer a situation. We're trying to do something that Jesus has already done for us. We're not going to be conquerors. We are conquerors now in Christ Jesus and not just conquerors but more than conquerors, the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, I can do all things through Christ which what? Strengthens me. The Bible also says in the book of Philippians, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. See, we might see ourselves as in lack, but God sees all our needs met. Glory to God. Let's start looking at things the way He looks at them, you see. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're not going to have the victory one day. We've already got it right now, see. The Bible says now faith is. Let's be people of faith. Let's not say we're going to be victorious. Let's agree with the Bible. We're victorious right now. Amen. Did you hear me? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see. 2 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter says, But thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And the Bible didn't say once in a while He causes us to triumph, or occasionally He causes us to triumph, or maybe once a month He causes us to triumph. But the Bible says, Thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Bless God. We're not going to triumph. We're triumphing now. We're not going to be victorious. We're victorious now. We're not going to be healed. We're healed now. We're not going to have our needs met. We've got them met now. When is faith now? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith says you have it according to the Word of God when you can't see it. There's a lot of people who want to see it and then they're going to have faith. No, that's not how faith works. Faith calls those things to be not as though they are. When are we victorious? Now. now. When do we have our needs met? Now. When are we healed? Now. Praise God. Amen. 
When do we have the victory? Now. Do we have it once in a while or always? always? Praise God. That's what the Bible says. Let's close in 1 Samuel 22. We'll close here. I just want you to begin to see things the way God sees them. Let's stop looking at things the way we see them. Let's look at them the way God sees them. Let's look at things through the eyes of the Word of God. 1 Samuel 22 and 2. Close right here. And we could have looked all those scriptures up on all those people. How many of you know we look a lot of scripture up around here? How many of you know we're going to keep that up? Bring your Bibles. We need to be turning in our Bibles. Amen. Look at this. 1 Samuel 22, 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, I wonder if there's anybody in here that's in distress this morning. I wonder if there's anybody in here who might be in debt. I wonder if there's anybody in here who might be underwater in their house. You know what I mean by that? You owe more on it than it's worth. I wonder if there's anybody in here who's discontented with, with the way things have been going in your life. Well, this is talking about some men, 400 of them, that gathered around David before he was king. And he became captain over them. And of course, there was about 400 of them. Now, if we looked at these men, we would have saw men in distress. We would have saw men in debt. We would have saw men discontented. But you know what? God looked at these men in 2 Samuel 23, 8. 2 Samuel 23, 8. Notice this. 2 Samuel 23, 8. God looked at these men and gave their names as the what? As the what? As the what? Come on now, let's get this. These men in distress, in debt, discontented. 2 Samuel 23, 8. These are the names of the who? Of the who? Of the who? Come on now, these are the names of the who. Am I giving that wrong? 2 Samuel 23, 8. 2 Samuel 23, 8. Did I get that wrong? Huh? 2 Samuel. These are the names of the, of the who? These are the names of the who? Now, if you got your Bibles there, let's turn in your Bibles. Don't count on that screen now. That screen is just there for added convenience now. Let's turn in your Bibles. Don't rely on that screen. Thank God for the good job they're doing. Thank God for the screen. But don't just rely on that. Let's turn in our Bibles. Let's look this, these things up. Can you say amen? amen. Praise God. 2 Samuel 23, 8. These are the names of the who? Amen. Of the who? Now, who are these the names of? The mighty men. But we just saw in, in, in 1 Samuel that these were men in distress, in debt, and discontented. But God saw them as what? See, we look at them and we see them in distress, debt, and discontented. God looks at them and sees what? Mighty men. See, if you're here today and you're in distress, if you're here today and you're in debt, if you're here today and you're discontented, well, don't be so down about it. You qualify to be a mighty man or woman of God. Amen. But then you need to do what these guys did. Just being in distress or just being in debt or just being discontented doesn't automatically qualify you for that. You've got to do what these men did. They found out where they were supposed to be. They, were, they found out who they were supposed to be with. And they were supposed to be with David. And then they, they were faithful to David and they served him well. And in so being faithful to David, they were faithful to God, you see. And then God saw them as mighty men. Glory to God. 
See, see, if you're in, in distress or debt or discontented, that in and of itself doesn't qualify you for being a mighty person, but it's what you do in the midst of that. It's how you handle yourself in the midst of that. And if you'll in the midst of that say, look, I may be in distress, I may be in debt, I may be discontented, but bless God, God sees me as victorious, God sees me as more than a conqueror, God sees me as always triumphant, I'm going to find out where I'm supposed to be, I'm going to find out who I'm supposed to be hooked up with, I'm going to follow that ministry as they follow Christ, bless God, and I'm going to be faithful, and the Bible says the faithful man will abound in blessing, glory to God, and in the process of time, you'll climb out of that ditch of distress, You'll climb out of that ditch of debt. You'll climb out of that ditch of discontentment. Bless God. And people will no longer say that you're a person of distress, that you're a person of debt, that you're a person of discontentment. But they'll say that you're a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Let's everybody stand in the presence of a holy God.